With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, November 15th. The 2020 WTA season officially in the books. It ends with a two-tournament winning streak for Arena Sabalenka. She follows up her success in Ostrava with a title to end her season in Linz. We're going to talk about that match, hear from our winner, as well as hear from Elise Mertens about her fantastic 2020 season during the course of this podcast, of course. We're also going to break down the first day of results from the 2020 ATP year-end finals. Today, we saw Nadal knock off Andre Rublev in straight sets. Team and Tsitsipas battle in a three-set uh, in a three-set match. Joining me to break down all of that action, you, of course, know him as our Cracked Rackets Do Everything, a former Denizen men's tennis superstar, the only undefeated high school coach in Missouri State history, and, of course, the forefather of the forehand slice, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing on this Sunday evening? Happy. This is now my second platform on which I can boast about having my calls for today's <laughs> matches correct. So just keep knocking them off one by one. That's also your second platform. You can tell us a little bit about how you missed out on your adult league match. A, a real bummer, but my <laughs> team came through in triumph. So listen, I'm in a good mood all the way around on this fine Sunday evening. That's probably the A segment of this show, right? What's your team at now? Nine and two? What's better, your fantasy team or your tennis team? I honestly don't know. I joined the USTA League late. Uh, they added me on a little late, so I don't know what the record was prior to me. I have to imagine they were doing horribly before I joined and now are doing really well. But listen, don't let my ego get in the way or anything. Uh, but no, it's been a ton of fun. I hope that they're doing uh, better because I care about that more than I do fantasy football. But regardless, here we are now, and hopefully I'll be all good to play next week. Yeah, that was the correct answer. It's more important that the tennis team wins than the fantasy football team wins. But of course, again, it is the home stretch of this 2020 season. For a lot of us, the only tennis we are going to have in our lives over these next few months is the tennis we play if we can play at all. Of course, if you're going to get out on the court, you're going to need a couple of things to have success. You're going to need to look good. You're going to need to feel good. And then ultimately, you're going to need to play good. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. If you go to MidwestSports.com, you use that promo code CR15, you will get 15% off on all of the best brands out there, whether it's Wilson, Head, Babylon, Nike, Adidas. They've got it all on their website. Use our promo code. You'll also get free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, of course, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use the promo code CR15 to check out all of their latest offers. Of course, go to AeroBar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15 to make sure you have your nutrition 
nutrition in the right place to make sure you're getting that little bit extra boost on the court that you need to bring your game to the top level. Go to aerobar.com, use the promo code CRACKED15 to let them know we sent you there. And again, look good, feel good, play good. Midwest Sports Aerobar Cracked Rackets. All right, Jamie, with that in mind, let's talk about these matches and let's start with our final WTA match of the 2020 season. It's a fitting final, wasn't it? Considering how good Arena Sapolenka was down the home stretch, she knocks off uh, all of her challengers out of the, the uh, inflection point really being down 6-0-4-0 to Cerebas Tormo. She comes back in that match. Hasn't or has dropped, I think, only one set since she wraps up a straight set victory. 7-5-6-2 over Elisa Mertens to win the crown here. Of course, in her last match, she clinched a finish in the top 10 for this 2020 season. Uh, she ends her season on a 10-match winning streak, I believe, Jamie. And, you know, Seven five six two. That second set was a little bit lopsided, but that first set, the quality of tennis was so uh, incredible, and I really think Elisa Mertens deserve a deserves a ton of credit because she was your wins leader in 2020 and that's something I mentioned on another platform as well I've mentioned it a bunch this week but you know she fought she made so many different adjustments to try to take time away from Sapolenka but what the clear message has been and it hasn't been a ridiculous level of competition but Jamie you look at some of the wins Sapolenka has earned over these past few weeks obviously here she knocks off Mertens she knocked off an informed Doden in the previous round in Austria Obviously, the big wins for her were over Azarenka in the final, over Jen Brady, Coco Goff, Saripas, Tormo, all really good wins. It's just the overwhelming power that continues to stand out for me. When she plays her best tennis, it doesn't really matter what her opponent's doing because the match is on her racket. Yeah, and look, that that holds especially true when we're playing on indoor hard courts. You mentioned the back-to-back titles. She's just looked so good. and. Listen, if you were to pick two players, given how they've been and their stature in 2020 and this wacky season to really finish this out and have a closing final in the last event, it would be Sabalenka and Mertens. So again, very appropriate to see these two in the final and going at it. And listen, you mentioned this match in particular. Mertens, of course, battling really hard in the first set, but realistically, it was all on Sabalenka's racket, right? I mean, it was just opportunity after opportunity, and she would get a little bit ahead, and Mertens, to her credit, again, would claw her way back and stay in really tight contention but the problem was Sabalenka was just creating so many opportunities for herself and you know whether that be on her own service game where she was able to impose the first strike tennis we talk about so frequently whether it was being able to attack the Mertens second serve which she certainly did particularly in the second set I mean she just had so many weapons at her disposal and I'm not surprised to see her get through and take this one. Yeah, and for Elisa Mertens, I had the chance to ask her about her serve in this match, and just over the course of the week when talking about the results, it was the second serve just kept getting attacked for her, and it was really, you know, just serving up an opportunity for her opponents to take control of the points in this match. Mertens goes 6 of 19, 31% on second serve points. Now, you know, Sabalenka was only 6 of 20, 30% on second serve points, so the second serve uh, pretty shaky on both sides of this match, but for Mertens, you know, I wanted to ask her, how important is that serve going to be to work on that during this offseason? Then again, will she even take time off? Will she, uh, you know, what is her plans for the offseason? We got the chance to ask her that question. We want to play that answer for you listeners. So Westoff, roll the clip. 
congratulations, Elisa, on a great week. Uh, for you, these past two matches, and really all week long, the thing that seems to have decided your matches is your serve. And I'm curious for you, heading into this offseason, how important will working on your serve be to your game plans for 2021? Yeah, I mean, that's where the point starts. So it's very important to have a good serve. Uh, also to have a good return. Also attack the second serve or get like a, a win percentage on that one. So yeah, I think first serve, first strike will be very important uh, for the next season. Mm -hmm. And for you, after leading the WTA in wins during the 2020 season, just curious, what will you do to maybe take your mind off of tennis for a few weeks? What are your first few weeks of the offseason going to look like? I'm going to play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do fitness on Tuesday. I'm already starting on Tuesday again. Not not tomorrow because I can because I have a flight. But I'll start on Tuesday, and I have uh, preseason for four weeks. So that's my plan. <laughs> so you're someone who doesn't take a lot of time off the court. No, no. Uh, maybe I'll tennis maybe Thursday or something. Yeah. Just so you know, Jamie, her answer to the question was that she's not taking any time off and that she's going to get right uh, back on the court. And so I'm going to ask you for your reaction to that. What is as, what, is, as, as what was your it. statistic for win percentage on second serve? She was 6 of 19, 31% in the match. No, that was set one, excuse me. Seven okay, that's what I overall. thought. Yeah, yeah, I can come back. I'm going to come back with that correction. Because that, I think that happened the other day too where you said that and I was like, that is not what I see on mine. But I, it's, yeah. it's whatever. No, but, but the other I, day mine, you were wrong. The other day you were wrong. You had one set and I had both sets. Well, I, I promise you I didn't have one set because I only look at something that shows me the whole match. Yeah, no, so. no, but the other one, yeah, the, the other time, because I, I do remember that happening. Yeah, you came back and said another number and I didn't say anything. Yeah, but and it was like, a because it was a little bit bigger and I was like, I think you have the wrong number. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I just shouldn't trust the one that yeah. pops up oh, on Google. Some of these stats all suck. But um, like yeah. it, it doesn't even split it by set, so that's how yeah. I know mine's just looking yeah. at it overall. But all right, ready? Sure. Here we go. Jamie thought it was pretty interesting to hear Merton say that she's not going to take any time off. She's getting right back on the court, said she might do fitness as soon as Tuesday. I mean, I'm sure part of that's a product of, look, the action in Australia starts in about six weeks. It's going to be a pretty quick turnover for all of these players. But, I mean, if that little answer if i that if that answer doesn't you know perfectly encapsulate uh elisa mertens as a player just her fight her tenacity i don't know what else will yeah exactly it, it's good to see that sort of attitude it's really similar to you know some of the commentators talked about this with rublev um, coming back obviously he had a, a path back from injury last year and he said you know what i just need to hit the back i just need to hit the court i need to work harder i need to put more hours in and mertens has that same sort of workhorse mentality so great to see her hopefully there's no burnout or injuries from being overworked there but yeah you mentioned it not i mean the australian open 2021 not very far off so no real downtime for these top players at this point yeah, and look, uh, for Elisa Merton, she was the wins leader in 2020. Obviously, she's doing something right, and she was a quarterfinalist at this year's U.S. Open. And we talk about we talked about this a little bit yesterday. We actually had a question on this week's edition of the Deciding Point, which 
all of you listeners should go check out on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel pretty much a weekly roundup of all of these mini break episodes. But uh, she's probably on the list of people you'd like to coach, right? Because she's got a lot of different things you can do. And this offseason is just going to continue to be about maximizing her strengths, about getting her serve just a little bit better so it's just a little bit easier for her to hold. And obviously, we saw the quarterfinal run at the U.S. Open. How do you build on that? How do you get yourself inside the top 20, maybe even inside the top 10. I think she was a top 10 player during this 2020 season. I know others may disagree, particularly given that a lot of the top players didn't end up playing, but I thought Mertens was that good. I guess my final thought on her uh, 2020 season, the one thing you would work on this offseason with her, and then again, do you think she was a top 10 player this year? Yeah, I mean, I think the first answer is fairly obvious at this point. We've talked about it so many times. It's a theme throughout her matches. Uh, it's just the second serve getting attacked. Yeah. You know, she's got to do some different things with the second serve. Um, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to get a bunch, a ton bigger. Um, she just needs to use it, I, I guess, more. I don't know exactly how to articulate this, but she needs to use more variety with it. Um, she she needs to keep her opponent guessing. Um, and some of this obviously starts with getting more first serves in. I, I thought she did a great job today. She gets 70% of those first serves in, but you know, you know, she's got opponents essentially just so, so ready for her second serve. They can step inside the baseline and do anything that they want with it. So she's got to switch up the rhythm on that, right? Throw in different kicks, slices, different locations. She just can't give her opponent the same look over and over because it will get demolished. Um, You know, listen, I I think she's going to be in a really good spot and this isn't a secret. She knows this is what she has to work on. So I I don't see any issue with this and I think we're going to continue to see that second serve get better and better. To answer your second question on if she's a top 10 at this point, Listen, the level's been really impressive, but I can't in good conscience say that she's been a top 10 player while seeing the field of play be so diminished, especially on the women's side in 2020. Now, granted, they didn't play and she did, so maybe she does deserve that sort of recognition, but given that field of play and the opposition that she's seen, I just can't sign off on saying that's top 10 level. Yeah, uh, it's a fair point to make. Again, you, she matches up with a Kennan and Andrescu, uh, you know, some of the other top players right now, a Halep or even probably a Pliskova or obviously an Azarenka right now. Uh, you know, uh, she probably enters those matches as the underdog, even against a Muguruza, but... She has looked really good in terms of floors, about as high of a floor as any player match in, match out. Uh, I think that's the thing we learned about her this season. I'm very excited to see if she can take another jump forward during 2021. Of course, someone obviously we're going to be talking about, I'm sure, a lot this season. We've talked about her offseason, excuse me, and we've talked about her so much down the home stretch here of 2020. Arena Sabalenka, who again, back to back titles to end her season. She's inside the top 10, going to end that year at number 10. Only 22 years old. It feels like she's been around a lot longer, obviously, uh, for her. She's had a couple of premier-level titles, but still has not gotten over the hump at the Grand Slams, and, you know, that's a big question, I'm sure, for her heading into this offseason, and I actually had the chance to ask her what are the things she thinks she needs to do to take another jump forward? What are the things she's going to be working on this offseason? We have that answer for you listeners, so Westoff, roll the clip. Congratulations on the victory, Arena. Um, heading into the offseason, you talk about controlling the controllables. What will be the things you are going to be focused on most on improving heading into the 2021 season? 
Well, I would say I will keep working on the uh, variation of my shots and uh, also um, I'll work a lot on my service game and like surfing volley. There's so much stuff to improve in my game and we're just gonna speak with the coach pick uh, one thing and just uh, work on it, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And for you uh, to have won nine matches in a row down the home stretch to end the season inside the top 10, you talked a little bit yesterday about you like to have your chill time with your family, with your friends. What do you do to celebrate a season ending like this? Well, I always celebrate the same. Take some cake. <laughs> <laughs> some sweets <laughs> and this is my celebration maybe go to mcdonald's i don't know <laughs> i haven't picked one yet maybe pizza oh. maybe i'll buy the new phone because i think i broke this one right now <laughs> uh no no i think uh, uh, i'll just have a nice dinner uh, with my family and this is going to be my celebration <laughs> All right, Jamie, we heard Sabalenka's answer. I want to go to you now. If you're Arena Sabalenka, you're part of the team. What are you doing with her to have her ready so that she can peak heading into 2021, you know, peak at the majors better than she did this season? Yeah, I mean, listen, this is this is one of those things where it's hard to pick out a lot of different things because she's looked so solid. Um, I think for me, though, it's really trying to understand that plan B. You know, on the deciding point, we talked about this with Yastrzemska, for example, but it holds true for somebody like Sabalenka. You're going to get into situations where you can't just swing through every problem that shows up. Uh, we've seen this with players in the past, and yes, Sabalenka has the ability to throw in that variety, but she needs to really get comfortable doing that so that if she goes up against somebody who is either putting all the pressure on her her, or if the A game isn't working as sharp as it needs to, I think she just needs to work on a lot of drills where it forces her to win points in other ways instead of just pure pace. Yeah, I think, you know, for Arena Sablenka, again, she's made one fourth round in singles at the Grand Slam. She does have that 2019 doubles title with Elisa Mertens, but you heard it in her answer. She's put so much pressure on herself at the slams, or maybe it wasn't in that answer, but she said that during the course of her press conference, and uh, I think that's very true, and it's just about being relaxed, trusting her game, knowing that, and she said, you know, that Cerebus Tormo match, what that meant for her down the home stretch. She was like, look, I know if I can play my best tennis now, I can dig myself out of any hole and a match like that will do that for you and hopefully that confidence translates into 2021 because the talent is so obvious the power is so obvious for someone who is that powerful as well she moves so well around the court really can turn defense to offense and again can just rip a winner at will it's just about reining that in about being a little bit more disciplined a little bit more consistent with her shot selection but overall there's a lot to like about arena sabalang heading into 2021 and certainly again we will talk about her more throughout the course of this offseason but with that in mind let's switch gears now talk a little bit about these ATP year-end finals in London our final ATP level action of the season of course we had our first two matches of the day today for those of you just a reminder what this year on finals is it's our top eight players of the season two groups of four they're going to play round robin the first few days the top two players in each group going to advance to the semifinals one player 
place two of the opposite group. Uh, and then, of course, the final match uh, to end this ATP season today. It was the Nadal Rublev Tsitsipas team group taking play. And let's start, Jamie, with our three set battle. Dominic team, last year's finalist, knocking off the guy who beat him in those finals, Stefano Tsitsipas, in our opening match. It was Dominic team taking a 7 6, 4 6, and then ultimately 6 3 uh, decision over Tsitsipas. You look at this match, Jamie, really, really thin margins. And of course, the thing that jumps out if you watch this match 6 5 in the breaker for team Tsitsipas uh, serving, I should say, down 5 6, hits the big first serve, has the forehand approach shot to put the ball away, unable to do so. Team just hits a bump lob over his head. Tsitsipas misses the next shot. It's a forehand. Tsitsipas probably puts away 99 out of 100 times, but from there, he drops that first set. He comes back, gets the only break of serve in the second, and then in the third set, it's Dominic Team getting his one break of serve, holding the rest of the way to finish the three-set win. Your thoughts, Jamie, obviously on that moment in that first set tiebreaker, but ultimately the fact that Team was able to get over the hump in this one. Yeah, I mean, that was a really tough moment for Sitsipas and anybody in that camp. Um, I mean, listen, that, that just tells you how incredibly razor thin these margins were because one single point can completely change the outcome of the match. Um, because realistically, you know, this thing might look a lot different if Sitsipas takes the first set, which he certainly had an opportunity to do. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, credit to Dominic Team for just hanging in there and doing what he does. I will say great job of Team after losing that second set to reset himself. But Sitsipas, I, I mean, look, I was impressed with both guys i feel like i could go back and forth talking about what i liked from both of these guys today in the match but realistically i think it's best to stay holistic and say hey both of these guys looked fresh and looked really good and ultimately yes yeah, somebody had to win this match today but it could have gone another way right you play this 10 times it probably goes five and five and so dominic team should feel lucky and fortunate that he gets through this one Sitsipas has got to feel okay because even though he drops it he has that set on the board and realistically you know if he comes up with another win or two in this group you know he has he has a very good chance of advancing through um so both of these guys got to feel fine obviously team feeling a little bit better because he was able to pull this thing off yeah, a question we also talked about on this week's edition of The Deciding Point. Is it more difficult to win a Grand Slam than it is a year-end championships? And don't worry, we're not going to re-litigate that conversation here. That's called a tease in the business. Go check out that video for our expanded thoughts. But to your point, Stefano Tsitsipas still has plenty of time to bounce back, end up qualifying for the semifinals, defending his title as year-end champion. But what was so encouraging for me for both Dominic Team and Rafael Nadal, uh, clearly these courts are a little bit slower, a little bit higher bouncing than normal for an indoor hard court. And for Dominic Team, the way he went after the forehand today, so decisive throughout this match, he did a really good job of just the second there was space, the second he had had a forehand hitting that forehand big and then following that ball in. Now, in particular, he would follow that ball in when he got a forehand and could attack the Tsitsipas backhand corner. And he was really decisive about moving forward, playing a first volley, even though sometimes those first volleys weren't the prettiest things in the world. But, you know, I, I thought he did a really good job of finding inside in forehands. I thought his one handed backhand was more dynamic than Tsitsipas's. It put more pressure on, you know, Tsitsipas wasn't able to just sit around 
around and hit for I guess here's the way I'll, I'll say it. When Dominic team was able to find Stefano Tsitsipas' backhand, more likely than not, it meant the next shot he was going to hit was a forehand. When Tsitsipas found the Dominic team backhand, team's backhand still had enough juice to find that Tsitsipas backhand corner or keep Tsitsipas honest by going down the line. This was a really good match, though. Both guys over 77, or both guys at 77% in terms of first serve points won. Both guys over 55% in terms of second serve points won. Again, it was one break of serve uh, differentiating the two players uh, in this match. Or excuse me, both guys only had one break of serve. Really thin margins, but... Team looked good. This was a really strong start for Dominic Team, who after the match, Jamie, and you talked about this on a different podcast, maybe yesterday's podcast, I think it was. He talked about how mentally he's more fatigued than normal, but physically he feels as fresh as he's ever felt at a year in finals, and certainly that is going to help given the level of competition he faces. But yeah, this was a really fun three-set battle between these two players. Of course, our second match, a battle between the hottest player on tour probably right now and the guy seeking his first year-end championships. No, I'm not talking about Dominic Team. No, I'm not talking about Daniil Medvedev. I'm talking about Rafael Nadal, who was a straight-set winner over Andre Rublev in this match. Nadal just really never allowing Rublev to get comfortable. He takes the match 6-3, 6-4. Nadal doesn't face a break point during the course of this match. He breaks Rublev right away to start the second set, then just holds on to that break the rest of the time. Your thoughts on Nadal's opening result? Yeah, I mean, listen, it wasn't uh, it wasn't brilliant by any means, but it was solid. Um, it was absolutely what needed to be done, and and I don't think we're ever going to be able to see the top tier performance um, from Nadal on a court like this. You mentioned it looks like it's playing a little bit slower in the bounce, maybe a tad more in his favor, but at the end of the day, it's still an indoor hard court, um, and so he's never going to get that the the, the benefit um, from a clay or a really slow outdoor hard like we've seen him really just dominate opponents on. So with all of that being said, I think he did a really good job. Of of keeping the variety where it needed to be. He knows that just his average rally ball that might explode off a clay court is just not going to do it on these courts. So when he needs to be aggressive, he did a great job of flattening it out. When he wanted it to be more of an average rally ball, I, I liked how he put a little bit more air on it, focused on the RPMs on that thing, and got it out of Rublev's strike zone. And you mentioned it. He didn't allow Rublev to get comfortable at all. Rublev, I mean, listen, there were times where he missed a ball by an inch um, that maybe could have gotten him close to a break point, but Rublev just didn't do enough in the Nadal service games to really make this thing a competitive match. Nadal, on the flip side, had a field day with the Rublev second serve, um, you know, winning more than 50% of those points. So, listen, Nadal put himself in positions to win, and Rublev couldn't do everything to scramble out of them. Just too good for Rafa now. Yeah, if you're Andre Rublev, you're like, I only got broken twice in this match, but also if you're Andre Rublev, you're like, how could I not break serve once in this match? And the game he got broken in the first set, Rublev was up 40-30 and then loses three straight points, gets frustrated, had a plus one forehand to put the game away. Nadal comes up with a cross-court backhand pass that Rublev's unable to get his racket on, but... You know, I don't want to say the backhand got exposed, but I will say this. You know, often before this year, the the book on Rublev was if you can hit him with against elite power, right? If you're someone who can take time away, you are still going to expose that he's not he's not a plus athlete. He's a good athlete, certainly a plus powerful in terms of his power as an athlete, but in terms of a mover, he is not one of the top movers of this next gen. He's probably at best a second tier mover, and second tier is still really, really good. With his weapons, he's going to win a lot of matches, but movement is never 
never going to be his calling card. And I think Nadal exposed that a little bit by changing directions, by getting him really stretched on the backhand corner, then going down the line by hitting behind him, by doing all the things that, of course, Rafa Nadal does. And again, he looked so much more effective on his return of serve with his own serve, the bite on his ground strokes than he did in Paris. And that's absolutely something to note. Uh, It's quite clear Rafa's amped for this event. This was a really good victory. But I'm not concerned for Rublev moving forward, are you? No, not too much. I mean, again, a little disappointing to not see him really get his teeth in this match. But, you know, a lot of the ground strokes he's missing in this are, again, by such a small margin that if he reins it in a little bit, I think he'll be just fine. I feel like this was the worst possible scenario for Rublev to have to face Tsitsipas, team and Nadal, three guys who are going to take a lot of time away from him versus a Schwartzman or a Djokovic or obviously a Zverev or a Medvedev where just he would have had time to get into his plays. Like if 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 you're Diego Schwartzman and you're Andre Rublev, do you think they would both agree like, hey, let's trade groups and they'd both be happy? Uh, I mean, listen, let's just say this. I think everyone wants Schwartzman in their group, not to be completely disrespectful. <laughs> um, so I don't know how much weight I can put in that. But you're right. The matchups that are posed in Rublev's group are really difficult for him in the sense that they're going to take time away. Now, I, I think somebody like a team is certainly a doable matchup for Rublev just because the way team uses pace, yes, it can be relentless. But Rublev also... I don't know. I, I see that matchup going a lot differently, at least than how Nadal match went today. The tough part is every match is going to be difficult. Again, we won't get into this really. We won't get into the deep discussion of how hard an ATP Finals is, but yeah, every match is going to be super, super difficult. Um, but yes, to ask this question right off the bat, Nadal in your first ATP Finals. That's a tough one. That's a very tall order. And so I I don't know necessarily if he would want to switch groups and be in there with, um, you know, Djokovic, Zverev, and Medvedev. But certainly when you start talking about matchups, Nadal, a really tough one for Andre Rublev. I legitimately think they would both be willing to do it. I mean, Schwartzman said that was his ideal group, and so he'd be able to have that. For Rublev, he's like, well, at least I have time on my side. At least I go down swinging and... Yeah, again, both of these guys, it, It's I'm sure if all of these players, you'd rather face Rublev than probably, I don't know, man. Rublev's really good on an indoor hardcourt. Anyways, it should be a really fun week of action, and of course, the play continues tomorrow, and that's the last thing we want to talk about on today's episode. Of course, we talked about them a little bit at the end of yesterday's show when we guessed the lines, but let's preview uh, Monday's matches uh, in London. Let's start uh, with what is expected to be a lopsided match and has grown further lopsided lopsided in terms of the odds since we spoke yesterday. Novak Djokovic up to a minus 715 favorite over Diego Schwartzman, who's now plus 540, Jamie. Of course, Djokovic, I think he's 5-0, maybe 6-0 career head-to-head, undefeated, I know, against Diego Schwartzman thus far in their career. Indoor hard courts, of course, as well. Now for Djokovic, he uh, looked really good, uh, or excuse me, he did not look very good uh, the last time we saw him in Paris. Of course, Schwartzman has looked so good since that first round loss to Cam Norrie at the U.S. Open, uh, but I don't know. Minus seven fifteen feels a little bit high. Still, how do you see this match unfolding? I think you know. Look, making the lines on a match like this is just so difficult because it, it just a hundred percent depends on how Djokovic is mentally. 
Um, and, and again, that's not to disrespect Schwartzman, but realistically, this match, you know, unless he does something insane, is kind of out of his hands. If Djokovic is near his best, you know, this match isn't going to be a close one. Now, I can see a world where Schwartzman gets out to a good start, Djokovic is a little sloppy, then gets mad so that he can actually feel some sort of human emotion and then runs away with it. Um, that is a very realistic possibility in my mind. But at this point, I can't bet against Djokovic. You know, yes, what we saw from him, especially in that lopsided loss against Senega, was just dismal uh, but I really don't think he's going to show up and do that sort of thing here here's what I would ask would you put $715 on Djokovic to win 100 are you that confident in him tomorrow Ooh, I mean yeah when you pose it like that it's tough um, because yeah. I really don't know. But again, it completely depends on how he is. On the flip side, would I put anything on Schwartzman to win? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, and that's what those odds reflect. I just, again, it's sort of like anything Schwartzman can do, Djokovic can do a little bit better if he's locked right. in. It's just the, how does no or you know how does Diego Schwartzman hold serve in this match? That is the question that he is going to have to find an answer to. I think Djokovic wins the match in straight sets as well. But of course, our second match from a tennis perspective should be really really exciting it's a rematch of course of the final in Paris Daniil Medvedev a three-set winner on that occasion against Lord Voldemort of course last year he beat Voldemort in Shanghai then Voldemort beat or maybe it was Beijing I apologize but then uh, of course Voldemort beat Medvedev in the year-end finals Medvedev not the greatest uh, year-end finals last year for him the sour note after what was such a great 2019 home stretch Uh, the odds a little bit more narrow the late money coming in on the German Medvedev right now minus 136 so you have up to plus 114 what do you expect to see in this match yeah I mean listen uh, I, I think Medvedev's want to get gonna want to get revenge from the round robin portion of this event last year uh, but again so much has happened since then they just played um, and so there are no secrets between these two much like the Sabalenka Mertens matchup these guys know each other um, you know, not only have they been around each other for years, they literally just played. And, and so there isn't much separating these two. Um, you know, I'm not sure what exactly I think of the surface playing slightly slower here. Um, you've got to think that that would help Medvedev um, just because Zverev does have the biggest weapon on the court um, between these two with that first serve. I, I look. Um, without really getting into this, let's just say we're rooting for Medvedev to win this thing. Uh, but realistically, I mean, there's a lot of ways that both of these guys can win these matches. That's what makes it so tight. Because if Zverev is playing, if, if Zverev is playing his plan A tennis and serving bombs, Medvedev is going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, and it's going to be up to Medvedev to hold serve, which typically is going to look a little bit more difficult if Zverev is doing really well. Now, if this thing gets tight down the line, if it's a tight first set and Zverev is serving to stay in at four or five you might as well live bet Medvedev to win the first set and break because Zverev gets so tight and th- will throw up really weak second serve. So if it gets to a scenario like that, I like Medvedev in the really tight moments. But in terms of who's playing better tennis, I mean, it's really just a toss-up. Yeah, here's what I would say. Whoever, if you could parlay higher first serve percentage with the money line, or like with a winner of the match, that's the bet I would do because whoever has a higher first serve percentage is going to win the match. Sometimes it's that simple in men's tennis, particularly on an indoor hard court when you have two guys who are over six foot six. I think this is going to be a really fun match aesthetically. Obviously, if you like physical tennis, if you like 15, 20, 25 ball rallies, this is the stuff for you. Uh, but. 
I think the bet is over two and a half sets more than the money line. I would stay away from the money line in this one because, again, I think it's going to be an absolute battle. But, of course, we have those matches tomorrow. We will also have the challenger action in Orlando and some elsewhere and some others elsewhere across the globe. I think it's a three-challenger week this week. We've got ITF events as well. Do want to give a shout-out to both Max Martyrer and Dennis Kudla, who we have had on our Crack Rackets content before. For those of you thinking, when did you guys have? Max Martyrs when we were out in Stowe, Vermont. What was that? 2018 summer, I think, for that exhibition event. Uh, we got the chance to chat with him. Of course, we've had Dennis Kudla on the show a couple of times, uh, but shout out to both of them for taking home challenger victories as well. And of course, we look forward to listening to Mike C. Tennis on the USTA Pro Circuit this week in Orlando. Uh, but of course, if you have missed any of the action in the tennis world, go check out our website, crackedrackets.com. You'll be able to read Judson Wall's piece, recapping each week's action, previewing the week ahead on our website. You'll be able to read Matt Stachowiak's college contender pieces thus far. He's written about the University of Georgia and Michigan. We've got another team set for this week. So be on the lookout for all of that. Of course, from a cracked interview standpoint, last week it was Manny Diaz, James Blake. Still waiting for the green light on that Adam Steinberg video from the University of Michigan Athletic Department. I'm going to keep saying it. They know I'm a Wolverine, right? In case someone close to the Michigan family is listening, I am a Wolverine. Let us play the audio. I promise you're going to like it. It's going to make Michigan look good. Anyways, we'll have that this week. We'll also have our next college contender interview as well as an interview with Jean-Michael Gamble, the former top 20 ATP pro, of course, came on our Cracked Interviews podcast. You're going to be able to listen to that in pod form. Also see the video on our YouTube channel as well, so be on the lookout for that. And all of our content, again, on our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fleeter and Daniel Westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out of course again to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com use the promo code cracked 15 but with that in mind jamie any final thoughts on this weekend's action i just hope my picks do as well tomorrow as they did today i <laughs> uh, had a nice three and zero with the savalenka and Nadal team swing so we'll see what happens tomorrow yeah, no, I, I hope they do as well. Your energy always so great when you get to come on and talk about those picks. I feel like it's always a good day, right? Hopefully when the picks go through. If you were betting tomorrow, would you take? Would you bet on either of the year-end finals matches? Would you bet on Djokovic, or is it a stay away given the odds? It's tough. Um, if, there was, if there was some other match in a lower tournament I could parlay with, I would be more intrigued to do the Gruskin and do that way. Um, <laughs> but just straight up, some of the, these matches are stayaways for me. They're just dicey. Now, if you look and go and if there's any sort of interesting prop bets, maybe you want to take some game and set lines, sure, I'm all for it. But straight up in this one on the money line is really tough. It's going to be an Orlando-centric week on the GSP Ace of the Day, uh, or a theme on a GSP Ace of the Day this week. That is my note for all of you listeners. But yeah, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-hosts, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flinger and Daniel Westoff, I suppose Elisa Mertens and Arena Sabalenka from the press box, of course, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Druskin. Jamie, what do we tell the listeners? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Mm-hmm.